Hi, and welcome to the Automotive Tech Info Podcast, the program where technicians talk to technicians, offering diagnostic tips in 10 minutes or less. This podcast is brought to you by Automotive Tech Info to help you learn while you listen. I'm your host, Tony Mala, and we'll be presenting information for and by automotive technicians in a unique learning opportunity to grow your knowledge, insight, and understanding of the automotive technology you see in the shop every day, one nugget at a time. Hi, we're back talking today with Dave Fischuto, a former shop owner and master technician of Dave's Import Service in Medford, Oregon. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be here. Dave has been discussing strategy-based diagnostics and how developing a solid diagnostic process is important to today's technicians. In our last episode, we were discussing the value of having a reference library, and I'd like to pick up that conversation from where we left off. You know, building a reference library on diagnostics to use as a training aid is a great idea. And there are a number of online resources with technical discussions and waveform libraries available. How often have you taken advantage of that? Has that been an important part of of your diagnostic toolkit? Yes, those are very important. There are some good web-based services out there, and we do use a particular service where we can go in and, and look at past cases and get some good ideas of you know, where to, where to go with our diagnosis. And usually that is somewhere down the line in the steps of the strategy-based diagnostics. So in other words, let's say you've gone down your list, you've verified the complaint, you've done your preliminary checks, you've done uh, your scan, and you've got some codes and you've maybe eliminated some of them that are not related but you still, you're going to make a note of those, but they're not related to your concern. That's part of your differential diagnostics there. You've got several codes, right? But some are not related. Some might be voltage codes where, you know, the battery was low or something like that and through a false code. So part of your differential diagnostics, you're going to eliminate some of those. And then you're going to chase the code that is the most likely one. And as you go down those steps, you might use one of the online-based services IATN or one of many other ones, and see what the past history of that is with that particular vehicle. That's a good part of your diagnostic strategy. Absolutely. Well, it seems like having access to as many resources as possible is always a good idea, especially when it comes to diagnostics. How important is ongoing training? I know we kind of beat this into the heads of everyone that you really have to take advantage of every training opportunity you can get. How much training do you think the typical diagnostic technician would need in a year to stay sharp? Well, I'd, I'd like to see my guys go at least twice a year. Sometimes that's not feasible. But the reason is, Tony, is we all know every one of these manufacturers is coming out with uh, new technology. And so if, if we don't stay on the cutting edge of that technology, then you get behind the eight ball when these cars start showing up in your shop. So I'd like to say you should try to send your techs out at least twice a year. A lot of times you've got local training, uh, but you know if you live in an area like where our shop was, uh, we had to send them out quite a ways to do it. But and it's a, it gets a little expensive. But the alternative is you're not fixing cars properly, and you'll soon be out of business. How long do they typically go away for a training session? Usually, it's a weekend. Sometimes, though, we had the week-long seminars, you know, down in Vegas where they have the big one down there, some of the big training expos. And there was one in Seattle we used to send our guys to. And so that would be for not a full week, but like a long weekend, like a Thursday through a Sunday type thing. Yeah, kind of like vision. Yeah. 
Let's talk some specifics now. I know we've been talking a little bit about you know, best practices, uh, how to develop a good diagnostic strategy and a good diagnostic format that you can follow, good habits to get into, that sort of thing. Let's try to relate this to the real world. Walk me through a typical diagnostic scenario. You had mentioned cranks, but no start. Let's use that one. What would a typical diagnostic scenario on a crank no start look like? Okay, so you have a crank no start situation. Pretty simple. And that might be something you're going to give to a younger tech because you're hoping he's going to be able to solve that for you without a whole lot of trouble. First off, of course, we're going to verify that. We're going to go out and make sure that it does crank and not start. And again, like I mentioned before, sometimes customers will describe it differently. You know, they'll say, well, it turns over, but it just won't catch or, you know, some of those terms that you, you hear from your customers, but you've verified it, that it does crank, but it will not start. Now we need to make ourselves a list of components or systems that are involved to make that car start. Well, we all know you've got three basic things that you need for a car to start. You need spark, you need fuel, and you need compression. And all those three things have to happen at the right time. So start with there and maybe go with what's the easiest one to check. Now, the first thing I have my techs always check And you would think, well, if it cranks, it can't be the problem, but that would be the battery. Even though the the engine cranks over, if you got a gear reduction starter, it might be turning over at nine volts, but we all know that the PCM needs that full 12 volts and you could have an issue there. So if you got some bad connections at the battery or low voltage there, that's a simple check. So that would be on your list. Fuses are another possibility. Wiring, what else could, um, security, anti-theft could be a system that would affect that. Control modules and relays could be affecting that. Fuel supply, like we talked about, spark fuel, ignition components, engine compression, and any of the engine sensors. So this is where you're going to use your differential diagnosis. What's the most common item here? What's the easiest to check? Like I said, the battery is the easiest, right? I like to go to the fuses after that. Those are pretty easy to check too. I always tell my guys, don't trust the fuse labels. I go through usually and have them check every fuse in the car. I know that's a big deal, but if you got a crank no start, you don't want to spend two hours on diagnosis to tell the customer that you had to replace the fuse and you got to charge them for two hours that kind of lays it out for you there. You start at the top and you kind of narrow your way down. We'll return to our interview after this word from our sponsor. Automotive Tech Info provides professional technicians with a regular diet of repair information on BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Toyota, Volvo, Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, and more. It's free access to technical knowledge and insight from professional technicians for professional technicians. Simply register at www.automotivetechinfo.com to gain access to our database of technical wisdom that is easy to use and searchable by keyword, vehicle manufacturer, or publish date. It's a convenient technical resource to keep you ahead of what's coming into your shop every day. For more information, visit our website at automotivetechinfo.com. And now back to our interview. You mentioned something else too that comes up a lot on the diagnostic side. I think Modern consumers are getting used to the idea 
that it costs money to find out what's wrong with your car. That advice isn't free anymore because of the amount of work and technology and frankly, expensive equipment it often takes to answer the question, why won't it start? You were a shop owner for a number of years and your time span would have taken you when we didn't charge for diagnostics because we weren't doing them into the modern world. How do you prepare your customers or how do you inform your customers as to what they're paying for when we're talking about, say, a minimum diagnostic challenge where maybe they did have to pay for two hours to find that fuse you know, or something like that? Any thoughts or any suggestions for shop owners on how to explain and justify the diagnostic charges that are inevitable? That's a good question, Tony. And it is a difficult issue and it continues to be because there's always that misinformation out there that that all we're doing is plugging in a scan tool and reading the code. And that code is telling us to fix the car, right? Right. So we all know that's not the case. It is an effort on the service advisors or service managers part to educate the customer. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not something that it's once and done. You're, You're continually doing it, explaining why we spent this much time on the vehicle I think a good policy is to have a a certain base charge that you have for preliminary diagnostics. And we explain that to our customers that that this is going to be our preliminary diagnostic work. And if we can find it within that time frame, great. If not, would you like us to call you or do you want to authorize us to go any further at that point? It's just good to have good communication with your customers. And that the real key there. Most people are pretty understanding if you communicate with them. If you come hit them with a three-hour diagnostic bill after the fact and they, they have no knowledge of that, then now you're in trouble. So uh, it's good to have good communication right up front. Educating your customer is the most important step. Well, you know, an educated consumer can't be taken advantage of. I tell the consumer uh, reporters that call me that all the time. So you should want them to be smarter about their cars. You know, today... I've said this before, when a consumer opens their hood of their car, what they generally see these days is another hood. Yeah. Everything's covered with plastic. Clear message, do not touch this, right? Right. And that's only going to get worse as it goes forward because, again, we're moving into a time, lots of discussion as to when this is going to happen, but we seem to be heading down a road of electrification. At some point down the road, the traditional ICE engines are probably going to be replaced by some sort of electric power system, just like horses were replaced by ICE engines because the technology has matured to the point where it simply makes more sense. We've had hybrid vehicles long enough now that the first ones are antiques. So this isn't something new to us, but do you see the diagnostic challenges increasing or pretty much being what they are now when it comes to having a different powertrain like an electric vehicle as opposed to, say, a hybrid or an ICE engine? I see them to be just as difficult. I don't think they're going to be any more difficult. I just think the challenges will change. Just like when we had to go from points and condenser to a no distributor, you've got a new system that you've got to learn. And, and that's why it's going to be with the electric vehicles. There's some concern with the independent service provider that when the ICE engine goes away, that you know we don't have any oil to change, we don't have any spark plugs, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, no fuel filters. But you're going to still have electrical issues, so you're going to have to shift to more, uh, like you just mentioned, uh, to a more electronic basis. So you're going to have to shift your thinking that way. I don't think your diagnostic strategies will change too much. 
It's just the, the systems are going to change. So you're going to want, still want to apply good diagnostic strategy to the system that you're working on, whether it's an electric power plant or not. Well, Dave, once again, we're out of time for today, but I'd like to continue our discussion if you wouldn't mind coming back. Yes, I'd love to, Tony. Thank you. Great. We've been talking with Dave Fischuto on the topic of strategy-based diagnostics. Join us for our next episode, where we'll continue our discussion on how to improve your diagnostic skills. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.